Here we are, it's uh, Gordon Dallas and uh, reacting to the sad news of the passing of Arthur Montford that on the line I have the legendary Mickey Weir. How are you, Mickey? Gordon, I'm fine, mate. How are you? Mickey, I've spent this morning, after the sad news I heard very late last night of Arthur Montford, I went and found this morning our 2009 interview with Arthur. Do you remember it? I do, yeah. I remind it fondly. It was a... Uh... It was very, very poignant, wasn't it? We had a good, we had a good chat about football, and I think most of the stuff he came across was stuff that I was brought up with, Gordon. You know, through my family, my father, and my uncles, and my granddad, and that. I think some of the memories he gave us was just different class. It was sensational. Hopefully, I've written it down in the with the website what we're going to be hearing in just a little minute or two, Mickey. And you asked a couple of cracking questions, but uh, he talks about meeting Pushkas in 1977. He talks, and you were really interested about the 1960 game, the Real Madrid game. With yeah, that's it. right. Yep, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was just. Uh, I just always remember the white strips, God, and that was what grabbed me. You know. It's, my dad used to show me it quite a lot, and when he started talking about it, I just thought, you know, this was, that's what got me into football. We've got a lot of people into football, I think. And obviously, Puskas was one of my dad's heroes as well, and everybody I've ever spoke to, even Sir Alex Ferguson, everybody that has been involved in football, and I've been fortunate to meet us, they always talk about the great Puskas, you know, and the, these type of people like Arthur Montford, they were, so, they were so loved as well, God, and, you know, I don't think I have anybody speaking having a bad word to say about uh, Arthur Montford and that that just tells you everything about the man I was he was uh, I've kept the bits you know the introductions before we went on live and I kept the, the bit when we said cheerio to him as well just as a wee exclusive because I cut it out from the first original recording but what a genuine nice guy and he came on a few times for us as in the radio show as well as the podcast just a really decent guy fully statted up as well I cut the wee bit about the game that was happening that weekend in 2009 I didn't think it was maybe of interest for the wider uh, public but he had all the stats he had everything at that age as well you know still sharp as attack wasn't he yeah news news football inside out God. but as you see he was you know the only thing he ever knew he was just he started up just as a kind of hobby type thing didn't he and then before he knew it he had that, that voice that Everybody, nobody forgets his voice, you know, I can remember the voice even, although I was even young, but I never forget his voice, so quiet and unassuming, and he just said things that, you know, he didn't overcomplicate it, when he spoke about football, people just listened, and he was just a genuine, genuine guy, and we were very fortunate, I think there wasn't many of us that could say that we had a, a good interview with him, Gordon. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a real privilege to hear some of his, uh, the names, the roll call of the people he's met. No, there wasn't, there wasn't many people, as I said, in football, I hadn't heard of him, hadn't come across him, but he was such a good, a, a, a nice person, that's why I think was, everybody wanted to help him. If, if, if there was ever an interview, you know, after Montford, nobody turned him down, Gordon. I even speak to, you know, Dave McParland, who was my, who helped me at Motherwell when I was coaching at Motherwell, when I speak about him, and he was the same, you know, I never heard anybody, but his knowledge, it was the most important, you see stats, Gordon, yeah. people talk about stats, he had it all, didn't he? He, just he loved, had it all. He just loved the game, Mickey, sometimes I'm not castigating anybody in the current uh, climate, but sometimes you think it's a career, but for him it seemed to, a, a vocation, a calling, if that's yeah. the expression, you know, he just loved the game. Yeah, he did, he loved it, he knew, and he knew a good player as well. I remember, I only met him a couple of times as well. I met him a, a few times. And he could tell you the names that he used to ring off. I've seen him, you know, talking about the great Jimmy Johnston and these type of players and that. 
he'd seen them all, Gordon. You know, seen them all. And I just wonder what he felt of the, the modern game. You know, compared to the players then. I'm, I'm a bit biased. I always see the players in my in their times. I think were were much much better, but. It'd be interesting to see what I thought about the modern game of football, wouldn't it? The best thing to do is go and sit back and enjoy this interview. And if you're listening to this and you think, I'll just skip it. It's one of the best interviews I think they ever conducted in about two years of doing the podcast. We did another three in the radio and all that. But that's the one I remember really sticks out uh, for Arthur. Just for his breadth of knowledge. and He goes from Chile to Frankfurt to uh, his, his sports jacket getting sold in Dundee. To 1960 <laughs> to Real Madrid, it's just all over the place. A huge uh, scope. Another thing is, well, Gordon, as people forget, it's a real good dry sense of humour, didn't he? He had a right good witty sense of humour. I love that. I love the type of people who was just, if he said something that was funny, <laughs> he would say something that would just, I'll be doubled up laughing at him. And he was deadly serious at the same time, you know. But uh, no, I found him a very, very unassuming man who just. New, new sport, new football in particular, and, and the people we had come across in the game were just second to none. I don't think there'll be anybody like him again, I'll be honest. There's not many that can, in, in my opinion, in Scottish football especially, they'll, they'll reach the heights that Arthur Montford did. Oh, There's no more we can say than that, so we'll just sit back and enjoy this interview. Brilliant. Mickey Weir, thank you very much. Thank you, Gordon. Joined on the other end of the line by an old colleague of mine, now works for Fourth One. I know a huge fan of Arthur Montford. It's Jerry McDade. How are you, Jerry? I'm very well, Gordon. A bit sad, though, and obviously on this day of all days. Yes. What's your take on Arthur Montford's career and his, uh, uh, just as a person? Well, the voice of football, Gordon. I mean, you and I both grew up under his commentaries. We grew up in a time where there were only really two or three commentators, Archie McPherson, Alistair Alexander, the other two, and Arthur Montford, and they brought some of the greatest memories we'll ever have. If you're going to ask me for specific ones, then I'm going to tell you um, Scotland against Czechoslovakia in 1973, mm-hmm. uh, when Joe Jordan scored the winning goal. Uh, I also remember him going crazy uh, for Dennis Logan through on the goalkeeper, shouting, come on, Dennis, come on, <laughs> which you just don't hear now. And then, of course, uh, Scotland against Wales in 1977, down at Anfield oh, as well, yes. just tremendous to to be the voice of, you know, possibly the two most momentous moments in Scottish football history. He was a pioneer, absolute pioneer. Um, I think he was just a gentleman though as well. I think that was the difference. People loved Arthur Montford. You know, they, they they thought he was a very welcome presence in their 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 house. I think the fact that Scott Sport, you know, traditionally out on a Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. when people were sitting, maybe had their lunch, they're relaxed, you would sit with the family and you sort of welcomed them into your house. And I think he had a persona that was very capable of that. He never came across as being an arrogant man. He clearly knew a, lo- a great deal about football, knew a lot about the game. Um, but I think probably his most endearing thing was his absolute, utter enthusiasm for the game of football. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was just saying to Mickey. He, was, uh, he actually came across as somebody with a, a vocation for it. He was meant to do it. He had to do it rather than a career. Another thing the media are picking up today is about his interview about the jackets. Oh, yeah, the famous jackets. Well, and we've got this interview we've got. The jackets were absolutely legendary. There are, there are two legendary things about, about Scottish Sport. One was Arthur Monfort's jackets. The other was that when he opened up and 
you know, the show and Arthur was standing at an ice rink, you think, oh God, I've got to watch some ice uh, curling here. So that, that was another thing about Scott Sport. You could just tell how it was all going to pan out. But the jackets were absolutely legendary. And remember, of course, it was at a time, you know, when a lot of people didn't have colour television. You know, it was, it was a, still the, the vast majority of people had black and white, even into the 70s. But once we all get colour television, <laughs> God, the jackets were legendary. Well, actually, the interview we've got, Jerry, that myself, Joe and Mickey conducted in 2009, he talks about buying a jacket in Glasgow, he wore it 500 times, and then he auctioned it, or he gave it to a charity in Dundee, who only get 25 quid for it. What? <laughs> Could you 25 quid for the Arthur Montfort yes. jacket is he's, just absolutely ludicrous. He's lucky think, jacket. Do you know, that, that's a jacket that should actually be in the SFA Hall of Fame in, yeah. in Hampton. That, yeah. that should be absolutely put somewhere. Somebody should be saying, this This is the voice of football's jacket. He broadcast for God, what was it, for 1956 or something, for STV, it's a legendary thing. Uh, yes, we'll have to track that jacket down, so that was an amazing interview. Jerry, just he talked about his obituary, he didn't want his obituary to be about the jacket. What do you think, as the dust settles, it will be mostly about? His love of the game, his absolute love of the game. He was a tireless enthusiast uh, for, for all sports, really, but football, and Martin Greenock Morton, of course. I mean, I'm a, I'm a local boy as well to to Arthur so he's very very highly regarded down here and I think people like the fact that you know he was a modern supporter and the fact that he had that slightly more enthusiastic edge when Andy Ritchie would habitually pop a free kick past Alan Ruff you, you always heard that in his voice it just did mean a wee bit more to him but I think in general what people will absolutely remember is the enthusiasm the guy brought to the game and how much that enhanced all our enjoyment of it and I have to say as a commentator myself I, I've taken that lead from someone like that you know there's no point in going to a game unless you're going to enjoy it and be enthusiastic about it and nobody did enthusiasm better than Arthur Munford you're now working for fourth one is that correct well My yeah fourth two, actually fourth uh, we're doing um, live commentary uh, on the league matches uh, involving well Hibs Hearts obviously and um, Wraith Rovers Falkirk Cowdenbeath etc uh, all over uh, the Edinburgh Lothians and the Borders and Fife etc the commentary styles have changed over the years and to me it's important that uh, analysts etc uh, get back to having a bit more enthusiasm about the game and because and, it's you know it's, a, it's an entertainment it should be an entertainment and I think people like Arthur Montford clearly made it an entertainment for you when you were watching it because he was clearly enjoying himself so much how could you fail oh, to enjoy no. a game of football with Arthur Montford was commentating I on? think everybody's got these quotes this could be disaster for Scotland one of my favourites you know yes. that's what I'd have in my tombstone I, I absolutely love it you know Stramash Stramash oh, it's, it's, it's way of having clipped sentences you know that you, you would have short sentences uh, Murray Hay Dean's goal brilliant Absolutely. <laughs> we'll leave it there just now. And uh, if you get time, listen to the interview we did in 2009. Absolutely, gentlemen. As I said to Mickey, the scope and breadth of his knowledge. He goes from Chile to Frankfurt to Pele to Bobby Moore to Real Madrid to Eintracht Frankfurt to Gento. It's uh, just an amazing knowledge you had of the game. You can imagine I'm going to download that immediately. Oh, I know, I know, brilliant. Jerry, listen, thank you very much for paying tribute to the wonderful and the great late. Arthur Montford. Always a pleasure, Gordon. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Gordon. Hi, uh, Arthur. Are, are you OK at the moment? So how are you yes, pleased? Uh, yes, this would suit me fine. Oh, that's great. Listen, you're in the company. We're just about to record. We're not recording yet. Uh, of Mickey Weir. Hello, Arthur. Good evening, Mickey. Nice to hear you. Nice to speak to you. How are you? Not so bad, thank you. Good. And also, the man to my right is Joe Tortolano. Hi, Arthur. Arthur. Hello, Joe. Nice to hear from you. Pleasure to talk to you, mate. Now, Thank you. the idea is, Arthur, we'll just invite people into our boot room. We have a wee boot room here. And we're just going to 
um, fictionally invite you into a boot room, I'll maybe ask what what would your tipple of choice be in the boot room. So we're going to sit around and have a, a few questions, and we'll start with that Morton one, and we'll just see how it goes from there. Right, that's fine. Excellent. Okay, so we'll just record. So three, two, one. Right, here we are. In the boot room, the legendary kickabout boot room. Uh, last week we had Fish from Merillion, Craig Levine, we've had Craig Brown, uh, Peter Cormack, uh, Pat Nevin. Uh, Mickey, who have we got tonight? Tonight, Gordon, we've got a legend of the comments race. A broadcasting, a broadcasting king, Joey. Total legend. Absolutely loved listening to him. Well, let's uh, open the door and welcome in Arthur Montford! <laughs> Mr. Montford, welcome and take a seat. Thank you, thank you very much, Gordon. What a nice introduction from, uh, from Mickey and Joe. That was very generous indeed, gentlemen. Thank you. We try our best, Arthur. We try our best. <laughs> I don't know what you slipped in there. Must have been quite, uh, quite a couple of brown, one, brown notes there. Um, Arthur, before we start, a little conversation. It's always been the case, though, Arthur. Morton's always been a difficult place to go. Yeah. You know, Do you remember, guys? Do you have experience? Oh, some great games. Down down the cup, I remember going there in the cup, tough games at Morton, but. To be truthful, they did go through a lean spell for a couple of years, Arthur. But I can all, I always, you know, associate Morton with some great players. Mark McGee, you know, played with uh, Morton for you. Obviously, uh, you had two or three players. I remember Jim Tomey as far back as Jim Tomey. I don't know. Yes. You know, these yes. type of players. Rich, always, yeah. it was always good players that come to Morton. That was actually a, a good hunting ground for Alex Ferguson, was it? One point well, after. Too, when, you, when you think of Joe Harper and Joe, Harper, Joe yeah. Jordan and, and, and these boys, a lot of good players. Yeah. And Andy Ritchie, of course. Andy Ritchie, great, yeah. The greatest single enigma in Scottish football should have been a World Cup player if he had bothered. <laughs> uh, you know, he used, to, he, used to do, he used to do the most amazing things, and you'd say to him, you know, you'd say to the gaffer, "How's he doing?" He, he, he doesn't like training very much, but he enjoys playing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure Mickey and Joe have, oh. have both played and worked and trained with guys who are exactly the same. Oh, <laughs> hundreds of them, Arthur. But I think Richie was just special. Mm-hmm. Free kick. Free kick. It was one of them. You say to yourself. It's either it's over the bar, you know, it's, it's out the stand, or it's in the net, one or the other. Yeah, exactly. Unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable. Can I just ask you, Arthur, when people listen to this show, we're conscious of people not maybe being as au fait about football as you guys are. When did your association with Morton begin? Because obviously you're still very much hands-on. Would that be the well, case? Well, it's, it's ridiculous to contemplate, but it was 1942. Uh, when uh, when I was living in Greenwich during the war, my mum and I went to stay with uh, with her granny. My dad was in the navy, and I went to Capital with Douglas Ray, the present chairman, in 1942 for the first time. So I've been following Morton uh, since then. I was a director for a number of years. I retired from that from that because I'm 80 next month, and uh, I'm still honorary vice president. Though, which it has a great perk of a lower. I do a column for the home programme every week. I mean, I get a cup of tea and a pie at half time, which is marvellous. So that's one of the perks. You know, I go all the way back to the 40s. Uh, I remember uh, seeing Stanley Matthews and Tommy Lawton playing for Morton. I remember Billy Steele and, and Johnny Kelly playing in the left wing. I remember Morton being in the cup final and losing the Rangers when I was in the army in Egypt uh, in a match in 1948, which still holds the all-time record. 132 at the first game and 133,000 at the second game. Uh, and uh, Morton won 
Arsenal lost, uh, having drawn one each in the first game, lost uh, in the replay to the Billy Williamson goal. So my, my allegiance goes a long way back. And like, like, like most of your guests that you've had in over the weeks and months, Jordan, the, the, the team that you see first as a lad, uh, you, you never lose the affection for it. And it, it stays with you all your days, really, basically. I'm sure, I'm sure Mickey and Joe would agree with that. Uh, the yeah. question I would like to ask, I was speaking to Gordon today, when I heard you were coming on, I thought I was really impressed. I thought to myself, I've got to ask him this question. Was when the great Real Madrid came out of Hamden Park with the white tops on us, Yes. You know, that must have been special, wasn't it? Well, it, it was a it, the, the, the European Cup final uh, of nineteen sixty was probably the, the greatest game of football. It might be the greatest game of football ever played in Scotland. Mm. I mean, seven three, two players, Pushkas and Stefano, sharing seven goals with them in a European Cup final. Hundred and twenty eight thousand people wouldn't go away. They insisted on applauding the Madrid around the track. I tried Frankfurt waited and applauded them off the pitch. I tried scored first, then Real Madrid scored seven. I remember going to watch them in training, and uh, I thought, my goodness, this is a bit special because I had watched Eintracht take 12 goals off Rangers in the two semi-finals, and I thought, what a team they are! Crest, Lindner, Steen, Fav, near the forward line, all capable of scoring goals. Then along comes Canaria, Del Sol, De Stefano, Puskas, and Gento. And you say, God, there's goals in this game too. But it was just very briefly, without labouring the point, if you've got time, Gordon, I, I could tell you a story that's not generally known that STV very nearly didn't cover the game. What happened was that we were members of the UBU, the European Broadcasting Union, wanted to cover it, so we asked BBC London if they could get a commentary position, and they said, somewhat patronisingly, no, I'm sorry, they're all taken up, but if you can find a place to put your cameras, we'll let you in. I said, well, you know, you'll not let us in the going because we're members of the EBU. And we put up cameras in front of the old North Stand where people of a mature vintage will remember the North Stand. The opposite the main stand, it was a tiny, smallish stand. And we put two cameras there. Uh, I was there uh, with Alec Cannon and uh, I described possibly the greatest match I'd ever seen. And uh, many, many years later, it would be, I reckon, probably about 77 we went to uh, South America with Scotland, with Ali McLeod in the year before the World Cup to Chile, to Argentina and Brazil. And when we were training in Santiago, Chile, a guy comes along from the local team Cola Cola and it was Ferenc Puskas. And uh, he came in and I had spotted him right away, of course, but this time he was, he was never, never very slim, but he was chunky by then. And he came down and sat down, and the players all came over, and they were all excited, and God McQueen wanted to meet him. And, oh, it, it was pure magic. And it turned the clock back to one of the greatest games that I think I ever saw. The white, the, the white strips, I just, I just don't you can, you can buy it. It's just that uh, it stays forever, doesn't it? Seven, Real Madrid, seven, the that's right. That's right. They had something special I mean, to, to win five of the first six European Cups in a row and Gento playing in all five of these winning teams is something that, that will never happen again I don't think. We may not see a team like that again either, playing with five guys up. Now the other thought, hey, the other thought. Five up front, eh? Yeah. Eh, Joe? <laughs> Arthur, I know you interviewed many, many famous people. Was there anyone that you thought, went, oh, that was a really brilliant interview? Well, funnily enough, one of the nicest interviews I ever had, Joe, was in the World Cup in 74 
when I was in the, one of the press centers in Frankfurt, and they, I, I was waiting for a television crew to come, and I espied Pelly and Bobby Moore sitting at a table over in the corner. Pelly was waiting to do some promotional work uh, for his company, um, a soft drinks company, which are nameless. And Bobby Moore was waiting to do a preview piece for English television, and he was waiting for Brian Moore. So I just chanced and went over and sat down and said, can I join you chaps? And fortunately for me, uh, both their respective units were late. So I had nearly an hour talking football with Pelly and with Bobby Moore. And uh, it was the quickest hours of football chat I can ever remember. (laughs) They were both thoroughly charming. Pelly, his English was much better than I actually claimed it would be, just that he liked doing interviews. They could chat fine. And uh, Bobby, we were talking about the World Cup and so on, mm-hmm. telling me about the time when he was 17 years old in the Sweden in 1954, winning his first World Cup at the age of 17, blah, blah. It was pure magic. It was nostalgic. It was memorable. It was emotional. And uh, these were two guys who contributed hugely to, to different styles of football, if you like, different threads of the beautiful game. But uh, they, they made that hour for me. And in answer to your question, those were two interviews which I thoroughly enjoyed. Well, I think you've done better oh. company than Tortellano and Mir there, right? Funny that, you never took him up in the conversation. I thought Arthur might have... Uh, I thought he might have just brought it to Bobby Moore, Pelly, Tortellano, Mir. <laughs> no, he always had a choice to make <laughs> there. <laughs> I'm disappointed, <laughs> Arthur, I'm disappointed. <laughs> Arthur, the famous, um, you know, uh, the jackets, do you think they'll ever come back, or are they back on the... Well, can I ask Arthur where he got these jackets from? Did you choose them yourself, Arthur? Because people remember you for them. I was doing a program on, on, on Radio 4 a couple of years ago with Radio Scotland with Tom Morton. Yes. He's a broadcaster who I know you respect, Gordon. Yes, absolutely. And he, he said to me, you know, do you not have this worry that if anyone ever takes the trouble to write an obituary, all will talk about your jackets? <laughs> and I said, you know, Tom, I said, I do have this fear. And I actually only had one Pippi Rory jacket. Uh, I got it in Glasgow. And I wore it for a lot of programs, and I regarded it uh, as a lucky jacket in the same way as Lucky and Joe maybe had lucky laces or lucky uh, strips or lucky ways or lucky grounds and so on. It was, a, it was a, a lucky jacket for me. Big matches, big occasions, cup finals, World Cup qualifiers, internationals. Yeah, I would wear it, and I was always sure that I would do a good program. I must have, must have worn it for... And we crossed it now, I think probably about 500 games, 500 <laughs> programs maybe. And eventually, I, I got a request from a charity in Dundee, and I gave it to them, and they oh, got okay. 28 pounds for it. Should <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, have put an eBay after you got more than I that. Know, nowadays, <laughs> eBay would have been. Hey, listen, you just mentioned, but don't want to keep you on the phone too long, Arthur. We could talk all night. It really is fantastic stuff. You've taken us back to some great times in football, 74 World Cups. Uh, but you mentioned there about programmes and about broadcasting. What's your thoughts on what's happened to the state of television coverage of Scottish football in particular in the last few well, years? Well, you know, on a, on a more serious note, Gordon, I, I did a piece in a letter to in the back page of the Herald Sports Organ and fans with laptops uh, because I was finding that nobody was listening to me and I referred to the creeping menace of television. And I know that uh, a lot of people feel that the game isn't what it used to be. Darrell Broadfoot and the Herald of says in Scottish football 
it is preferable to cling to sepia-tinted memories of past glories than to strategically plan for a bright and prosperous future. The trouble is that the future is here, and it's called live television. And live television is having a serious and profound effect on football games that start in England, for example, at 12.45 on a Saturday. Finish at 20 to 3, then the show goes to 5 to 3. If you're sitting at home, it's showery. The wife's got a rasdor list in one hand, and you've got your jacket in the other. You say, well, I have to not bother, because there's another game at half past five. And I think television is a genuine threat to to the future of the game, particularly in Scotland, because budgets are tight, crowds are small, and and chairman cannot go on forever subsidising the teams they love. Spot on. I think yep. what you're saying is spot on. I spoke about it for weeks here. I think you're, if you can't listen to people like yourself, then they shouldn't be listening to anyone. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. If you had to yes. go, and my final question, Arthur, if you had to um, have a wee time machine, I take it it might be even the Real Madrid game, but if you could go back to that era in football, you know, whether it's by decades or by season, what would you go back to relive again for a, for a couple of nights? Well, uh, um, I, I think sport is a very emotional thing, and I was lucky in, in a non-football sense uh, to, to meet and see and interview one of them, two of the greatest golfers who ever lived. One was Bobby Jones, mm-hmm. who came over to captain the American Eisenhower Trophy side for the first event in St. Andrews in 1958. The boyhood hero uh, won the amateur and open championships to Britain and America in the one year, retired at age 28. I interviewed him, wonderful interview. I have his photograph of him with me at St. Andrews in the study here, I'm speaking to you from. Uh-huh. And we start, a few years earlier, I saw the great Ben Hogan in action at Canusti, where he did 73, 71, 70, 68. The only time he played in the Open, and he won it, he played five tournaments that year and won four of them, and three of them were majors. So they were, I've been lucky with my sporting heroes. And I was also lucky to see my greatest single sporting hero play in the Morton Jersey and that was Stanley Matthews. If you, Mickey, or you, Joe, or you, God, never get a chance to read one football biography, it's called The Way It Was, and it's the life and times of Stanley Matthews, who came on as a sub in the benefit game in American R when he was 70, and he played for Stoke City when he was 52, in front of players of 15 and 16,000. He was my all-time football hero. It's awful to say it's not, it wasn't a modern player, like, like Billy Steele or Billy Campbell or, or Tommy Orr, but he, he was my hero. And uh, I've been very lucky in my sporting life to have met some of the people I admire greatly. Brilliant. Uh, Arthur, all that remains to us to say it's a fantastic uh, boot room tonight. So here's your ginger ale and uh, your lime. We'll let you go with your John you've Payton. Uh, you've uh, <laughs> Yes, very much earned it. But all that is to say, guys, thank you, Arthur. Oh, thank, thank you, Arthur. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Lovely to hear you, Mickey and Joe. You both keep well. And a pleasure to talk to you, God. Oh, absolutely, oh, Arthur. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Arthur Monster, Three, two, and one. Arthur, thank you very much. Right, Gordon. I hope that wasn't a wee bit kind of either this, either that stuff. No, no, no. I was saying you're doing quite well with people. It it was not. It's absolutely exactly what we're looking for, Arthur. It's fantastic stuff, and that'll be. We'll put that on the internet, and I'll I'll, I'll be in touch soon, Arthur. That's very, very kind of you for uh, helping us out. I'll hopefully. Great to talk to you and your friends. Yes. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you, Arthur. Good night, Mickey. Cheers, Joe. Bye, Gordon. Bye, bye, Arthur. Bye, bye, bye.
And that was Arthur Montford, 1934 to 2014, a gentleman and sadly missed within the game of football. Thanks to Jeremy McDade of 4th 2 and thanks to Mickey Weir.